Hello, and welcome to episode 38 of 10 0. I'm Maria. And I'm Taylor. How's our foot doing? Um, it's more annoying than anything now. Yeah. Like, you and your two shoes? It's. Yes. Because you don't like the other word. It's seeping. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we don't use that word, it's disgusting. <laughs> I don't understand. It's right up there with the M word. I, I don't understand people in their like fear of words. It's not a fear. It just makes me think of nasty things. Eh. Like when somebody word, it makes me think of wet socks, and wet socks is my worst fucking thing ever. I was an idiot this morning. Okay, I had to go out in the yard to get Wrigley. I had my socks on. I didn't uh-huh. want to put my boots on, so I put my Crocs on. Dumb, dumb. Guess who had wet socks? <laughs> because snow came into the holes of my Crocs. <laughs> so, I was going to attempt to put my Crocs on again today. No. No. <laughs> Judging by your your winter boot and your so your man boots. slide. I <laughs> <laughs> have to have at least a little bit of crack. Come on. That's why I brought you my boot. I know. Das boot. And I said I would put it on at some point. But there's no need to yet. I think the issue is the fact that I can't bend my toe like I'm no. used to being able to. I have to walk like completely flat foot. Uh-huh. Like I'm flat footed anyway. Or well, I guess is what I was yeah. trying to say. But I can't like I can't wiggle my toes. And it bugs me. You can wiggle the rest of your toes, just not your big toe. Yeah. Well, no, I can't even, like, do the, the second toe. Oh. Yeah. That's unfortunate. Yeah. This is why I don't do stitches. This is why I'm never, ever not picking something up ever again. Yeah, it's what you get for trying to step over it. Yeah. And the sad thing is, like, I wasn't even walking that fast. I just... Ugh. Anyway. <laughs> Change of What's our true crime fact true of the day? True crime fact of the day takes us to February 18th of 2011. Okay. So, not that far away. The Green River Killer pleads guilty to his, the 49th murder. Oh. Yes. On February 18th, 2011, in a Kent, Washington courtroom. Gary Leon Ridgway pleads guilty to the 1982 aggravated first-degree murder of his 49th victim, 20-year-old Rebecca Marrero. Okay. Marrero's remains were found in December of 2010, Yikes. decades after her murder, I was in a ravine say. near Auburn, Washington. Because wasn't he back in, like, 90s? In the early 80s. They just now found it. Or just mm-hmm. then found it, I guess. It's sad to think that 2010 was 12 years ago. Don't mind it. <laughs> Don't mind it. <laughs> yes, that means that, you know, my oldest is about to be 13, and I am not. Yeah. <clears throat> so, after entering his guilty plea, the 62-year-old Ridgeway received his 49th life sentence without the possibility of parole. And returned to the Washington State Penitentiary. 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 
in Walla Walla, <laughs> where, <laughs> where he was already serving 48 consecutive life sentences. Why does that make me think of Fozzie? Waka Waka. Yeah. Walla Walla. So. <laughs> You're welcome. He was serving 48 consecutive life sentences. One for each of the other women he killed. Jesus. Yeah. That's gnarly. 49 life sentences. He was arrested in 2001 after DNA evidence connected him to some of the killings. Mm -hmm. And he, in his 2003 plea deal, he admitted to the murders of 48 women between 1982 and 1998. So, yes, you were right. 90s-ish. 80s and 90s. And prosecutors agreed not to seek the death penalty against him if he cooperated with police in locating the remains. What's the point? I'm sorry, but if I was that much of a piece of You shit, killed 49 people. I'd be like, just kill me already. Which, you, know, you deserve it. He does. A million but times he also over. deserves to sit and rot the rest of his life. Yeah, so. but then taxpayers have to pay for his care. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, his plea deal ultimately was limited to murder in county. If in the future he is linked to unsolved killings in other counties or states, he could be eligible for the death penalty. Bye. He told authorities he began to think of murdering prostitutes as his career, and he did it because he hated them, didn't want to pay them for sex, and because he knew he could kill as many as he wanted without getting caught. A, not true. B, you're a piece of shit. There's a C in there. Come on. Die in hell? There you go. Whatever kind of hell you believe in, sir? Sorry, I started vaping again today. No, my throat's all like, Um, He said that he picked up women off the street, strangled them in his home or truck, meticulously hid their bodies near natural landmarks in an attempt to keep track of them. So he was trying to store them as trophies because he is a fucking piece of shit. Piece of garbage. I'm still a piece of garbage. (laughs) So, very good. Well, I'll go first. Okay. Because mine's short. But I have a story first. Oh, God. So I'm doing Fort Morgan in Gulf Shores. Um, <clears throat> so when my grandfather died and my mom was up here, we were watching... <sighs> Crap. What was it? Some paranormal show. I don't remember what it was. It might have been Ghost Hunters. I don't think so. But anyway, um, no, um, Expedition X, that's what it was. So they had gone and like dived and were trying to find the wreckages <laughs> from all the battles. Sorry. You gotta live. <laughs> I like swallowed my water the wrong direction. <laughs> and I felt it and I'm like, oh God, <laughs> I'm gonna die. But they were diving and like trying to talk to spirits underwater which I thought was weird and then they set up a camera in 
one of the tunnels. There's like a bunch of tunnels in the fort. Mm-hmm. It's a star-shaped fort, and it's got a bunch of tunnels right. and stairs and shit. So they set up a camera, and there's this... I don't know what it... If it was a spirit, I don't know. But it, like... There was a distinct body, and, like, mm-hmm. you could see a head, and it was, like, zombie walking, like, Ooh. through the hall. And where it went... Like, not down the hall, but, like, across it, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. But where it went out was wall. Like, there was no window. It was weird. But, so, apparently I've been there. I do not remember this. But we were watching it, and my mom says, you've been there, don't you remember? No. But there's a set of stairs that goes to the top level of the fort, these mm-hmm. stairs, okay? Apparently, I tried to yeet myself <laughs> off these stairs. Well, shit. <laughs> For anybody wondering about these stairs, they are very steep. Um, I'll talk more about them later. They're very steep and concrete, and Google a picture of Fort Morgan stairs. There's two sets of stairs that go up um, in different directions, but they're in the same point of the star if that makes sense apparently i tried to i don't remember how old i was obviously i don't remember going but i tried myself off of these stairs <laughs> just like a toddler oh, it's okay you and like there's no off of stairs and i tried to eat a bucket of sand there's no like guardrails there's no nothing there is at the very top like around the top of the fort, there's a oh. rail, but not on the fucking stairs. Weird. How are you gonna let a toddler <laughs> walk down these stairs yeah, and expect know. me to not jump off? Anyway, hi mom. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, so you apparently tried to throw yourself off. I was a very dangerous child. I like my parents took us to Nags Head, mm-hmm. and. Apparently, here's three-year-old Caitlin laying face first in the sand, licking it with ice cream. <laughs> Do I remember any of that? Absolutely fucking not. Fucking nasty. But apparently, sand. Apparently, that wasn't the only thing that I like to like lick when I was. A Please toddler. finish that sentence because that sounds horrible. <laughs> I would lick my dad's ashtray. <laughs> Sawdust off my mom's, like, saws. I had, come to find out, I had a vitamin deficiency as a child. So. So you licked an ashtray. So I licked, like, all sorts of things. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck kind of vitamin is an ashtray? <laughs> I don't know. But it was, like, the ash. Yeah. And yeah, it was fucking disgusting. I yeah. okay. Anyway, you throwing yourself off of stuff. I just tried to, you know. I tried things. to throw myself off stuff. I tried to cut off my finger with a plastic baby carriage. You know, it's fine. Well, now I don't feel so bad about almost cutting off my toe. <laughs> well, I don't remember how old I was. Maybe like nine or ten. I was pushing my stepsister in, like a plastic baby carriage. You know what I'm talking about, yeah. right? I was pushing her in it, and she was, she's, like, 
two or three years younger than me. But I was pushing her, and I don't remember if she leaned back or if I was trying to, like, bump up the curb Mm -hmm. to get her up. But she fell backwards either way. And the handle landed on my finger. And that scar that's on my middle finger that I'm currently flipping you (laughs) off with (laughs) was my finger was caught beneath it. And that scar used to take up my entire middle finger. Like, I used to not be able to bend my finger. Anyway. After all of our dangerous toddler talk. Yeah. Let's get into this. Okay? Okay. So, Fort Morgan was named after Revolutionary War hero Daniel Morgan. So, we're going all the way back to 1812 to start this off. Um, After the Spanish left Mobile in April of 1813, the Americans built an earth and wood fort on Mobile Point, naming it Fort Boyer, I think, after Colonel John Boyer. In September of 1814, the fort was attacked by a British naval fleet known as the First Battle of Fort Boyer. The British returned in February of 1815 after their defeat at the Battle of New Orleans and again launched an attack. This was the Second Battle of Fort Boyer. Mm-hmm. This time they were successful and the Americans surrendered the fort. So, on to the construction of the fort. Like I said earlier, the fort is... It's... It's more of a pentagon than a star mm-hmm. if that makes sense have you ever seen it you know what mm-hmm. i'm talking about okay so it's more of a pentagon than a star and it's got tunnels and stairs and all that fun stuff right so after the war of 1812 the u.s began a program to strengthen the coast defenses as part of this program in 1818 the u.s contracted benjamin hopkins to build a large masonry fort on mobile point however he died a year later in the yellow fever epidemic <laughs> The next contractor, was Samuel Hawkins, died in 1821 before he could accomplish anything on the project. (laughs) So, two people died in three years trying to figure this thing out. I'm good, thanks. So, after those two died, the Army turned to Captain R.E. DeRussi, using slave labor. He was able to make some progress before he got sick in 1825, and turned the fort over to his deputy, Lieutenant Cornelius Ogden. And Ogden completed the fort in March of 1834. Maybe that's why I named the baby. Cornelius? Yeah. No. Absolutely not. I lost my spot. You're welcome. (laughs) You're not naming that child Cornelius (laughs) over my dead body. Uh, The unit remained with the fort for about a year and a half before they left for Florida to assist in the Second Seminole War. So, on to the Civil War now. Mm -hmm. Eight days before Alabama seceded from the Union, Colonel John Todd took four companies of Alabama volunteers and captured the fort before dawn on January 3rd of 1861. The Confederate strengthened is at Mobile Bay. The key point was the main ship channel opposite of Fort Morgan, as this was the only way into the bay that was deep enough for a large warship to pass through. During the war, Fort Morgan provided protective fire for the blockade runners. All 17 ships that ran out of the bay eluded capture, as did 19 of the 21 that attempted to enter the bay. During the Battle of Mobile Bay on August 5th of 1864, Union Naval forces were able to get past the fort and enter the bay. They captured the Tennessee and the Selma and forced the beaching and burning of 
the Gaines, I think, and captured Fort Gaines. Once the fort was controlled by Union forces, they used it as a base for reconnaissance raids and then as a staging area for many following battles. <sighs> During the 19th century, the renovations started in the 1870s and the fort received 12 200-pound Parrot rifle cannons. The U.S. eventually abandoned the fort and letting it fall into disrepair. Under, right, under Grover Cleveland's presidency, the Secretary of War, William Endicott, chaired the Endicott Board, which led a program to build new concrete batteries at the fort. Between 1895 and 1900, Fort Morgan received five concrete batteries. Why does that explain a lot? I'm just curious. Yeah. He wasn't that great of a president. Name me one good one. <laughs> well. <laughs> Name me one good president that has been completely correct in everything. What, what, what happened was. <laughs> Name me one fucking good oh, one. Oh, God. I can't. I know. I'm aware. But. I mean, we've had a couple that were decent. Meh. But. On to the 20th century now. Hurricanes in 1906 and 1916 caused large amounts of damage to the wooden houses at Fort Morgan and along Officer's Row. In 1915, the Coast Artillery Corps built an experimental battery about a mile away from Fort Morgan. The battery held a single 10-inch gun on a disappearing carriage. And in 1916... The Navy took two battleships, the USS New York and the USS Arkansas, and shot at the battery for two days to see how well it would hold up. <laughs> Just for shits and gigs. So you... <laughs> you build this thing, and then you shoot at it for two days. <laughs> to see if it's going to work. <laughs> Tell the kids that, you know, when they're building like their snow forts, when we actually get snow... That they have to make sure the walls are fortified. So what do they do? They take a you know, chunk out of mom's playbook and douse them with water. And then they go inside for about an hour, go back out, hit it with a snow shovel. Solid. It falls down. It's not frozen yet. <laughs> Rebuild it. Fix it. So on to the ghosties in Ooh. the fort. Okay. So, like I said earlier, there's large tunnels that you can get in and out of on the fort. Right. Many people will go through these tunnels and say that they feel like someone is following them or yelling for them at the other end. Whee. Visitors on tours have reported orbs in their pictures. In 1917, a, right, in 1917, a prisoner hung himself in the barracks. Oh. According to many reports, you can still hear the hanging man cry late at night. Visitors often report footsteps and have been touched in the area where he hung himself. Okay, that part may be true, but how does someone who hung themselves cry? I agreed, but, you know. Sorry. Logic. Anyway. During the Civil War, a bomb went off in a room of the fort, killing several men. It's said that you can still hear them screaming. Many okay. visitors often witness a young woman... She was attacked sometime during the 19th century, and it's believed she roams the grounds looking for her attacker. Oh. So, Lieutenant Colonel Charles Stewart. 
Okay. This happened on April 30th of 1863. Okay. He was killed when a cannon exploded during the annual firing of the fort's guns. Oh. A cannon struck him in the head, obliterating his skull, and killed him instantly. Yeah. There, those steps that I was talking about that I tried mm-hmm. to eat myself off of, yeah. Um, supposedly, there is a stain on those steps that resembles blood. I feel like that's not going to last. No. Hundreds of years. No. Um, however, he can be seen walking through the halls and the steps going to the upper level of the fort. Sometimes people have said that he's still looking for his wife and his daughter. Because he had an infant daughter named Mary. Oh. Well done. And that is the story of Fort Morgan. Hmm. So there's a couple things that I could take apart, but I won't. Yeah. Just like the whole blood stain. Yeah. I don't know that I believe that. If people are able to walk up and down those stairs, there's absolutely no, no. way that it would stay. No. On the side, like on the wall. Maybe. Depending on which direction they face, though, right. the sun would bleach it. True. I don't know. I just work here. I don't know. That's the only thing I got. Okay, so I've got kind of a long one. Yeah. <sighs> we are going to New Jersey. Okay. You think? I'm not even born. We'll just think. we'll just go. We'll start there. <clears throat> We're gonna be talking about the Angel of Death. Mm. Charles Cullen was a douche canoe. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> he was born in West Orange, New Jersey, on February twenty second, nineteen sixty. Hey, almost when this episode comes out. Yeah. He was the youngest of eight children in a rather religious Catholic family. His father was a bus driver, and his mother stayed home to raise the children. Okay. His father allegedly raped him as a child. However, it stated that his father died when he was an infant. I mean, I would hope he wouldn't so, rape an infant. I, I, I would hope not, but we'll just leave that for what it is. <clears throat> Cullen described his childhood as miserable. He first Your existence attempted- is miserable. Well... <laughs> Not sugarcoating shit today. His first attempted suicide at the age of nine. Oh. By drinking chemicals taken from a chemistry set. This would be the first of 20 suicide attempts throughout his life. Later, working as a nurse, Colin fantasized about stealing drugs from a ho- the hospital where he worked okay. and using them to commit suicide. In one attempt, he took a pair of scissors and jabbed them through his head. Oh. He was rushed to the hospital to have me done. Okay. Unsure of when that happened. But when Colin was 17, Colin's mother died in an automobile accident. Mm-hmm. His sister was driving. Devastated oh. by his mother's death, he dropped out of high school and enlisted in the Navy in 1978. Yay! That's the year the blizzard happened. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I mean, we have snow in the forecast for 
flavor this week. So, when do we not have snow in the forecast? Apparently, all the fucking time because <laughs> I never get it. Anyways, <clears throat> he was assigned to the submarine force and served aboard the ballistic missile sub USS Woodrow Wilson. Nolan rose to the rank of petty officer third class as part of the team that operated the ship's Poseidon missiles. Cullen showed signs of mental instability. Go figure. He say, what once, was your first sign? Right. He once served a shift in a green surgical gown, surgical mask, and latex gloves stolen from the ship's medical cabinet. He was transferred to the supply ship USS Canoper? Canoper? Cullen tried to kill himself several times over the next few years. His last attempt led to his discharge from the Navy in March of 1984. <clears throat> After leaving the Navy, Cullen attended Mountainside School of Nursing and got a job at St. Barnabas Medical Center in Livingston, New Jersey in 1987. That same year, he married Adrian Cobb, and the couple had two daughters. Mm-hmm. Cullen committed his first murder on June 11th of 1988. Judge John Yango Sr. had been admitted to St. Barnabas, suffering from an allergic reaction to a blood thinning drug. Cullen administered a lethal overdose of medication intravenously. Cullen admitted, ugh, admitted to killing 11 patients at St. Barnabas, including an AIDS patient who died after being given an overdose of insulin. Cullen quit that job in January of 1992 when hospital authorities began investigating who might have tampered with the bags of IV fluids. Oh. Yeah. <clears throat> Cullen took a job at Warren Hospital in Phillipsburg, New Jersey in February of 1992. He murdered three elderly women at the hospital by giving them overdoses of heart medication. That medication was called Jackson, yeah, victim said that a sneaky male nurse had injected her in her sleep, but family members and other healthcare workers dismissed her comments. Oh, so they just decided, yeah, it's not happening, you're crazy because you're, you know, mm-hmm. got it. In January of 1993, Adrian Cullen filed for divorce. She later filed two domestic violence complaints against him. The divorce papers and domestic violence complaints depicted Cullen as an alcoholic, someone who abused the pets by placing them in bowling bags and trash cans, Oh. poured lighter fluid into other people's drinks, and made prank calls to funeral homes. What? But- Cullen had shared custody of his daughters and moved into a basement apartment on Schaefer Avenue in Phillipsburg. Prank calls to funeral homes. <laughs> What? Like normally, <laughs> normally you hear people like making abilities. He attempted suicide two more times before the end of the year. You know, this is gonna sound really bad, and I totally don't mean it to. You suck at trying to kill yourself. Well, I'm not gonna say what I want to say. <clears throat> Like, if, if you would have been successful the first time, we wouldn't yeah. be talking about you. Right. That sounds horrible, and I'm really, really sorry, but I'm not sorry. Okay, I almost went back to, like, the emo middle school days. 
It was like, remember, kids, it's down the street, not across. Oh, <gasps> Caitlin. Well, <sighs> that was bad. <laughs> that was bad. <laughs> That's what we were subjected to as teenagers. I know. Teenager, too. It was horrible. I'm aware. And by no means do I actually like mean that. It's just like maybe he should have paid attention. And that was the culture we were sur- subjected he's a, to as children. He's a nurse. Like he should have known. You know. I'm not convinced that he was ever actually a certified nurse. Um, he actually became a licensed nurse in the state of Pennsylvania in 1994. They're dumb. Well, New Jersey gave him the license first. Cullen left Warren Hospital in December of 93 and took a job at Hunter Medical Center in Rarity Township, New Jersey, early the next year. Cullen worked in the hospital's intensive care cardiac care unit for three years. During his first two years, Cullen claimed to murder anyone. The hospital records for the time period had already been destroyed at the time of his arrest in 2003, preventing any investigation into those claims. Convenient. Cullen did admit to murdering five patients in the first nine months of 1996. Once more, Cullen administered overdoses of diacetyl. Cullen found work at Morris Memorial Hospital in Morris, New Jersey. He was fired in August of 1997 for poor performance. Shocker. He remained unemployed for six months and stopped making child support payments. In October of 97, Cullen appeared in the Warren Hospital emergency room and sought treatment for depression. He was admitted to a psychiatric facility, but left a short time later. He, his treatment had not improved his mental Neighbors said that he could be found chasing cats down the street in the dead of night, yelling or talking to himself, and making faces at people when he thought they weren't looking. Okay. In February of 98, Helen was hired by Liberty Nursing and Rehabilitation Center in Allentown, Pennsylvania. He worked in a ward for patients who needed ventilators to breathe. In May, he filed for bankruptcy. Claiming nearly 67000 in debt. Jesus. Liberty filed, fired Cohen in October of 98 after he was seen entering a patient's room with syringes in his hand. Oh. The patient ended up with a broken arm, but apparently no injections were made. Cohen was accused of giving patients drugs at unscheduled times. Well. Cohen worked at hospital in Elston, Pennsylvania from November of 98 to March of 99. On December 30th of 98, he murdered yet another patient with Dijoxin. A coroner's blood test showed lethal... It's dioxin. Why is it... Why I put a G in there? Don't ask me. Oh. (laughs) A coroner's blood test showed a lethal amount of dioxin in the blood, and but an investigation was inconclusive and nothing pointed definitively to Cullen as the murderer. 
He continued to find work. A nationwide nursing shortage made it difficult for hospitals to recruit nurses, and no reporting mechanisms or other systems existed to identify nurses with mental health issues or employment problems. Cullen took a job at a burn unit in Lehigh Valley Hospital in Allentown, Pennsylvania. 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 <laughs> in March of 99. During his tenure, he murdered one patient and attempted to murder another. In April of 99, Colin voluntarily resigned Darn. and took a job at St. Luke's Hospital in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Colin worked at St. Luke's Cardiac Care Unit. Over the next three years, he murdered five more patients and attempted to murder two. In January of 2000, he attempted suicide again. He put a charcoal grill in his bathtub, lit it, and hoped the carbon monoxide gas would kill him. Neighbors smelled the smoke and called the fire department and police. Colin was taken to a psychiatric facility, but was brought home the following day. He's a fucking certified psychiatrist. Yeah. No yeah. one suspected Cullen was murdering patients at St. Luke's until a co-worker accidentally found vials of unused medications in a disposal bin. The drugs were not valuable outside the hospital and were not used by recreational drug users, so their theft seemed curious. An investigation showed that Cullen had taken the medication and he was fired and escorted from the building in June of 2002. Mm-hmm. Seven nurses who worked with Colin later met with the district attorney to alert the authorities of their suspicions that Colin had used drugs to kill patients. They pointed out that between January and June of 2002, Colin had worked 20% of the hours on it, but was present for nearly two-thirds of the deaths. Oh. Investigators never looked into Colin's past, and the case was dropped nine months later due to lack of evidence. Now, Colin worked for a short time at Sacred Heart Hospital in Allentown, but did not get along with his co-workers and left. In September, he got a job at Somerset Medical Center. He worked in their critical care unit. His depression worsened, and even though he had begun dating a local woman, Colin murdered eight more patients and attempted to murder another by June. Once more, his drugs of choice were dioxin and insulin. Oh. You know, keep the same. Right. On June 18th of 2003, he attempted to murder Philip Gregor. Gregor survived and was discharged. He died six months later of natural causes. Soon after, the hospital's computer system showed that Cullen was accessing the records of patients he was not assigned to. Co-workers were seeing him in patients' rooms. Computerized drug dispensing cabinets were showing that Cullen was requesting medications that patients had not been prescribed. The executive director of the New Jersey Poison Information and Education System warned Somerset Medical Center officials in July of 2003 that at least four of the suspicious overdoses indicated the possibility that an employee was killing patients. But the hospital put off contacting authorities until October. By then, Cullen had killed another five patients and attempted to kill a sixth. 
He then proceeded to have sex with the victims. Ew. Yeah. <clears throat> Creepo. State officials penalized the hospital for failing to report a non-fatal insulin overdose in August. The overdose had been administered by Cullen. When Cullen's final victim died of low blood sugar in October, the medical center alerted state authorities. It's stupid that it took that long. Yeah. An investigation into Cullen's employment history revealed past suspension, suspicion of suspensions about his involvement with prior deaths. They fired Cullen on October 31st of 2003 for lying on his job application. Police kept him under surveillance for several weeks until they had finished their investigation. Cullen said that he administered overdoses to patients to spare them from being coded, which meant going into cardiac or respiratory arrest and then listed as a code blue emergency. So he's essentially acting as their pre-DNR. Yeah, he's acting as the angel of death. Hence the name. He told detectives that he could not bear to witness or hear about attempts at at saving a victim's life. He also claimed that he gave patients overdoses so that he could end their suffering and prevent hospital personnel from dehumanizing them. Okay. So basically, he wanted to end their pain and suffering because... He didn't want to watch them have CPR death. He didn't want to watch them be intubated. Some of that shit's hard to watch. I agree, but it's not his call to make. No. It's not anybody's call to make but that person. Absolutely not. Investigators say that he is and may have caused patients themselves to suffer but he appears to not realize that this contradicts his claims of wanting to save patients from further pain and suffering. Okay. Cullen told investigators that although he often thought about murdering his victims over several days as he witnessed their suffering, the decision to commit murder was performed on impulse. He also told them in December of 2003 that he lived most of his life in a fog and that he had blacked out the memory of murdering most of his victims. He said he could not recall how many of them there were or why he had chosen them. In some cases, Cullen was adamantly denying committing murders at a given facility. But after reviewing medical records, he later admitted that he was involved in patient deaths there. See, that's why they have computerized drug dispensers. Where you have your special pin mm-hmm. to get in medications. Yep. And it tracks everything. It keeps a log of everything you've accessed. Okay. Yeah. He was arrested on one count of murder and one count of attempted murder at a restaurant on December 14th of 2003. Mm-hmm. He admitted to the murder of Reverend Florian Gall and the attempted murder of Tin Kyushu Khan, both patients at Somerset. 
in April of 2004, he pleaded guilty in a New Jersey court to killing 13 patients and attempting to kill two others by lethal injection while employed at Somerset. Mm-hmm. As a part of his plea agreement, he promised to cooperate with authorities if they did not seek the death penalty for his crime. Because I didn't show any mercy, but I want you to show me mercy. Yeah, I don't know about that. A month later, he pleaded guilty to the murder of three more patients in New Jersey. November 2004, he pleaded guilty in a Pennsylvania court to killing six patients and trying to kill three others. As of July 2005, he remained in the Somerset County Jail in New Jersey as authorities continue to investigate the possibility of his involvement with other deaths. Helen is currently serving a sentence of life in prison without parole for 30 years to be served consecutively with his other sentences in Pennsylvania. On March 2nd, 2006, Helen was sentenced to 11 consecutive life sentences in New Jersey and he was to be ineligible for parole for 397 years. Darn. So upset. Held at the New Jersey State Prison in Trenton. On March 10th of 2006, he was brought into the courtroom of Lehigh County President Judge William Pratt. Never heard that term. Term. Um. For a sentencing hearing, Cullen, who was upset with the judge, kept repeating, Your Honor, you need to step down for 30 minutes until Platt had Cullen gagged with cloth and tape. I was going to say, we need some duct tape in there. Cloth and duct tape. (laughs) Even after being gagged, he continued to try to repeat the phrase. In this hearing, Pratt gave him an additional six life sentences in addition to other sentences pronounced on the same day in another county. He currently faced, at the time, 18 Darn. Many of the deaths were not recognized as murder at the time, in part because the victims were old right. or sickly. But he was finally caught after officials at Somerset began noticing the patients who died, or nearly died, had unusually high levels of dioxin in their bodies. He agreed to help investigators solve his killing. Okay. In exchange, prosecutors in all seven counties where he worked agreed not to seek the death penalty. Because of the frailties of his memory and, in some cases, destroyed medical records. Insanity, I think is what we're talking about. Well, I mean, yeah. (laughs) It's unclear whether authorities have identified all of his victims. Cuckoo Nut Man? Yeah. Investigations remain open in two New Jersey counties. Mm-hmm. Uh, 20 lawsuits have been filed against the facilities where he worked. I can't even imagine. In other similar cases around the country, aide Donald Harvey pleaded guilty in 1987 to at least 34 murders in Ohio oh. and Kentucky and was sentenced to life in prison and coronary care nurse robert diaz was convicted in 1984 of killing 12 elderly patients in california with lethal doses of heart drugs mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Some family members said they were satisfied with satisfied with Colin's sentence, while others complained that it will do little to end their suffering. I mean, they're not wrong. No. It's not going to bring their loved one back and how horribly they died. Right. So, Colin was largely able to move from facility to facility undetected. Mm-hmm. Because of the lacking uh, or the lack of reporting requirements and inadequate legal aid for employers. Uh-huh. New Jersey and Pennsylvania. I cannot fucking talk today. Obviously. Well, I think I bit my tongue when I was eating earlier. Oh. And now it's like bugging me. So they require healthcare facilities to report suspicious deaths only in the most egregious cases. And penalties for failing to report incidents were extremely minor. Yeah. Many states did not give investigators the legal authority to discover where a worker had previously been employed. Mm-hmm. Employers feared to investigate incidents or give a bad employment reference for fear that such actions might trigger a lawsuit. I mean, yeah, I get it, but he's also killing people. Right. Prompted by the Cullen case... Pennsylvania, New Jersey, five other states adopted new laws which encourage employers to give honest appraisals of workers' job performance and which give employers immunity when they provide a truthful employee appraisal. Many of the laws passed in 2004 and 2005 strengthen disclosure requirements for healthcare facilities, bolster legal protections for healthcare facilities and that report improper patient care and require licensed healthcare professionals to undergo criminal background checks and be fingerprinted at their own cost. I mean, at their own cost, not so much, but I agree with fingerprints and background checks. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have to do that. Yeah. In my case, like three times because my card kept getting fucked up. But, yeah. There's that. It's sad that it took that long, A, for them to figure out it was him, B, for anything like that to be implemented, because who knows how many suspicious Mm -hmm. deaths there were that went under the radar because somebody hopped around from hospital to hospital. When I looked on Murderpedia, 35, he murdered 30, or murdered or attempted to murder 35 people. One, two, three, four, five, six. So, 29 people were actually murdered. Mm-hmm. And six of them were attempted. It's just crazy that it took that long. Yeah. Like, you're not listening to the people that survived him. Right. And like, if they don't have any reason to be having that drug, obviously something right. is messed up. And so is, he's had, like, movies and books fired by him. Yep. It's just ridiculous. It's sad that it took that long. Like, the good nurse just came out in 2018. I I just... Like, it bugs me. Like, I know, like, there's been other serial killers that have had the same thing. But it bugs me that it took them that long to figure everything out. 
and to make a ruling happen and he still gets you know to be famous at least he doesn't make any money off it yeah or whatever money he would have made off of it goes to right victim families depending on what state he's in i guess yeah but that's all i got that's it yep that's it You can find us on Facebook at Fan Zero True Crime and Paranormal Stories from Behind the Headset. Our Instagram and our Twitter are the same, both Ten Zero Podcast. Um, Instagram is spelled out, Twitter is not. Yes. Um, we have a Patreon if you're feeling generous. Um, there's four different levels of goodies, ranging from a shout out on the podcast to our big um, vinyl decal. Or yes. all of the above. Um, you can email us at 10zeropodcast at gmail.com for any case suggestions or um, personal stories. We would like to start doing like a listener story episode at least once a month. So start sending those in. That'd be great. Yeah. And um, we both see those. Like, yes. We both have the email linked. So we actually pay attention. <laughs> um if you're also feeling generous but don't want to donate to our patreon you can leave us a review on whatever platform you listen to us on that would be fantastical um our giveaway if we reach 250 followers on facebook as well as 250 followers on instagram for a total of 500 followers between the two we will be doing a personalized tumblr giveaway and by personalized, we mean our logo, like a predetermined design, yes. but with your name on it or yes. whoever's name on it. Or we can make it say number one fan or whatever. Like, doesn't matter. It will be personalized to you. Um, if we hit 750 followers between... Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, you will get the famous, my mom's not allowed to have one. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, mom. I told her she has to enter our giveaway just like everybody else, which, I mean, she doesn't have a Twitter, so, I mean, I guess that's not really fair, but. That's fine. uh, I told her that. She has to enter to win one like everybody else. It is a bleach or a reverse tie-dyed hoodie. So it is a bleached tie-dyed hoodie um, with our logo on it. There are only two in existence, and neither of them are the same. They're very, very comfy, very soft. I really need to dig mine out of the closet because I'm tired of not wearing it. I think mine's in my giant pile of hoodies in the corner. Well, I need to be able to wear it before I can't wear it anymore. Well, yeah. There's that. Yeah. (laughs) But, anyways, that being said, stay safe. And try not to become the next 10-0.